Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicle's podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today the great David Feldman, the official scorer and statistician, joins me to talk about the team's playoff loss to the Astros last week and about Billy Bean's future. Plus, Bob Melvin, will he be back? Well, David, I guess the place to start with is the the most fresh memory for, I think, everyone. What happened last week in the division series against Houston? The A's pitching kind of went south. The offense was there at times, but then fizzled kind of when, when they really needed it. How did you see that series overall, and, and what were the keys? Going into the series, I was not believing the Houston you know record of being they're an under 500 team. This is a team that they knew they were going to make the playoffs, right? When the A's took four out of five in September, they knew they weren't going to win the division at that point, but they knew they were a playoff team. So it was all about getting healthy. And it's also a 60-game schedule. Teams have ebb and flows, and this team, if this was a 162-game schedule, the Astros weren't going to be a 500 team. They were going to be better than that. So I, going in, you're not buying into it, and you look at their players, on the offensive side, and they're all playoff tested. And these are Springer, Tuve, Bregman, Reddick. They've all been in these playoffs many, many times. So don't be fooled, right? And and they're led by Correa, who just goes to a different different level in October. Um, so you knew it was going to be a tough series. I, at least I did thinking that. But then every game sort of played the same. The A's scored first. The Astros came back. They took advantage of a, a mistake, and they put together a big inning. Um, you know, both teams had 12 home runs in the series, but the Astros were able to tack on runs and put these big innings together. And the A's pitching, which going in you thought was a big strength, was going to be able to shut down the Astros. They were not able to do that. Uh, aside from really Liam Hendricks' three innings in game three, nobody stood out in the bullpen. I mean, Yusmer Petit had a, a nice game one, and in game two, he doesn't pitch well at all. So it's just it was frustrating from that from that sense, watching it that they could not stop these great Houston hitters. Um, and the other thing that kind of was underlying this whole thing for me was missing Matt Chapman, and not just offensively, but what he does defensively and how he affects the entire defense through the entirety of a game. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, there were at least, by my count, four balls that I'm not guaranteeing he would have gotten to or would have made the play on, but he would have been in a better position to do so than either Pinder or Lamb. Um, and the infield defense in, as a whole looked a little rough. They looked a little out of sorts, a little out of sync, especially on shifts. Uh, the spacing looked a little off at times. You know, guys were getting too close to each other and like, who who makes the play on this? They looked a little, you know, that's not going to happen. You know, Simeon and Chapman have played together so long uh, that that's, those sort of things are probably less likely. Yeah, they can happen, sure, but a little less likely when you've got guys that have played together that long. And when you've got a guy like Chapman, you know, most of the time Simeon's going to go, well, I know Chapman's got that one, so I'll just stay over here. So um, that was the thing, but to me, as much as anything, what they missed was Chapman's leadership and his fiery nature. Now, game three, Ramon Laureano was really, you know, he's the one that kind of turned the tide. Chad Pinder, one of the first things he said after the game was, Laureano 
you know, made this statement in the dugout. And he kind of went off and, you know, said, we're not going to lose this game. And that finally gave them some life. And I have to say, I was at Dodger Stadium. Those first two games, the A's bench, particularly in the late going of games, was as flat and lifeless as a, I've ever seen a bench. It's hard It's hard in these circumstances. There are no fans. Uh, in this instance, not only are there no fans, but you've got home field advantage, but you're playing in Los Angeles. Uh, so somewhat understandable. However, it's still a playoff game. And even if you take leads and you keep losing the lead, which is demoralizing and disappointing, you've still got to somehow keep that energy. You've got to manufacture it. Loriano did that one time. But as Bob Melvin said the next day when we were asking him about Loriano's little speech, he said, you know, you can't do it too often because it loses its effect. You have to pick your spots. He picked a great spot. He did it. He got through. Matt Chapman is a guy who can get in any of his teammates' face when needed. He can keep the energy of a bench going, you know, throughout a game just by himself because he's so fiery. He wants to win so much. So I think they missed him there too. But yeah, defensively. Um, offensively, you know, he wasn't having the best season, particularly toward the end. You have to wonder how much the injuries, especially the hip injury, were affecting him. Um but, uh, yeah, big difference. And the home field thing, I think, you know, Feldy, we have seen this before. Um, the first year of the wild card game, the A's were technically the home, had the home field advantage, if you'll recall. But for some reason, they couldn't really figure out the format yet. And it was a five-game series, but they sent the team with a home field advantage on the road for the first two games. So... Of course, the A's come back down 0-2, and like you know, they've got three games at home, and they're like, "Well, that's not really much of a home field advantage now." And then this time, no. now nothing anybody can do with it. You know, we all understand it's a pandemic. We know why these changes happen. Nobody on the A's complained about it. But what happens in an A's Astros series where the A's have home field advantage, and the Astros, after all of the cheating scandal, have to play at the Coliseum? You know, with potentially. 50,000 some fans. I mean, that's that's yeah. a completely different series. And you talk about energy, the energy's going to be absolutely different. No, 100%. Yeah, back in 2012, uh, that was the series with the Tigers where, as the division champs, they go on the road. Uh, that was all due because the Major League Baseball squeezed in their first ever wild card yep. game that year. But they didn't decide to, like, what was it, the middle of the season they were going to do right. this? And so now the, the postseason schedule is already set. Well, we're going to squeeze it in, and we, we're going to lose this travel day. So now we're going to go 2-3 instead of 2-2-1. Two, two, just absurd. Absurd. Um, yeah, the energy is an interesting topic because when the season started, we talked about how teams needed to generate their own energy during games, almost like a college softball team. Who had their, you, know, you go to a Stanford softball game, and they have their cheers for all the different players, and they're always making noise, and they're keeping the energy up on the bench. And that's what major leaguers needed to do. And we saw it during the season. We saw the players getting into it. So it is a little shocking that come the biggest games of the year, the A's dugout got a little quiet. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a shame. And I, they do miss Chapman uh, for that, for that intensity and that and keeping in, you know, keeping that in, the emotions up. The other thing that I think was really interesting, and I, I kind of tracked it during the time that Chapman was out, the A's started playing their defense differently without Chapman. And so, of course, because how great Chapman is. But with a left-handed hitter up, definitely a left-handed pool hitter, they would always go into the wishbone, right, where Simeon would go into short right field between first and second, leaving Chapman by himself 
on the left side of the infield. And Chapman, with his such great range, he was able to play deep and still you know, pretty much cover the whole left side. They stopped doing that when Chapman's injury. And they, they put sort of Listella a little bit more into a, to a wishbone, but they really didn't go to that full wishbone. And so I look back at Josh Reddick's at-bats during the regular season, and they played the wishbone against him. Uh, and his one time up against J.B. Wendelkin, he hits a ball right over second base. Now you go back to game one, the big error, Reddick's up. This would have been the wishbone defense against Reddick. That would have been Chapman coming across second to make the play. Yeah. Now, I don't know if he makes it or not, just like, like you said. I, I don't know. Yeah, and that's, to be fair to Marcus Simeon, that's a play he makes all the time. It but, is. It is. Yeah. And just one of those subtle differences without having Chapman. And you also saw some of the limitations of Tommy Listella. Not great range at second base. Um, not a strong throwing arm. Um, you know, kind of reminded me of Jed Lowry playing shortstop yeah. in 2014. That's a great call. Where he didn't have the range and couldn't get to the balls and balls are sneaking through. Um, it's just those subtle plays. Um, I really miss Chapman. And as far as home field advantage, yeah, totally different story. I think that these games are played in Oakland with a crowd as far as just what the emotion and the intensity. I'm not taking away from Houston's offense because they, they can hit anywhere. And we're seeing it even now, which is which is crazy. If you watch the, the first two games of the ALCS against Tampa Bay, they are scolding the ball yeah. left and right. The difference is Tampa Bay's defense is making every play. Right. And, um, you know, here's the other thing, too. The hitting with runners in scoring position, which has been, you know, on and off a, a fairly consistent issue for the A's, particularly in the playoffs, for a long time. But they weren't even getting runners on base. That's... <laughs> I mean, the 12 homers for each team. You, the A's had a bunch of solo homers because they're just Nine guys that they homers. weren't walking. You know, it, it was kind of a little, you know, especially game two. It was just not a lot going on. No, game two, the first postseason game in athletics franchise history where they do not have an at-bat with a runner in front. <laughs> that's not good. That's, that's, not good. that's unbelievable. And you, yeah, the home runs and when you get them, both teams hit 12 homers. The A's hit nine solo. The Astros hit six solo. Yeah. And then the Astros would hit a homer and then add on. Yeah. And I think if you look back again at game one, in the fourth inning, Olsen hits that, that long home run, and I don't know who's measuring because their measuring stick didn't go far enough because yeah. he crushed it. But then you have a, a Davis single and a Grossman double. It's second and third. Nobody out. Here we go. And then this was the A's bugaboo all year. Runner at third, less than two out, right? Yep. Strikeout by Laureano. Murphy grounds out. Strikeout by Lacella. Inning over, the A's don't add on. The other side, they get a big home run, and then they just keep hitting. Yep. Um, those rallies, those big innings, and the A's couldn't do anything to stop it. And it just it really was shocking to me how ineffective the A's bullpen was for the most part for the entire series. Yeah, that's the bullpen is what got them where they were. And it just it, like a major disappointment. Um, and, you know, bullpens, it's it's tough because look at the last month of the season. They, the A's play 26 games in 24 days. This is probably a pretty tired bunch. Yes, it was a shorter season. Sure. But that's a lot of time. And they, a lot was asked of them because the rotation was not as good as, as anticipated. Um, so maybe a little bit tired. Uh, and also facing a team that had a very good plan against them and had seen yep. them a ton. So, um, you know, kind of a lot of things kind of added up 
not in the A's favor in this one. But that was that was to me that was the biggest shocker. But when you think about some of the potential reasons, you're like, well, well, you know, this was a team that had seen them each one of those relievers a bunch, and a very tired bullpen. You got to think. Yeah, very much so. I think they the starters not being able to give them distance in games. You know, it really does tax your bullpen. I mean, when you're asking Liam Hendricks to get three innings, something that, you know, he hadn't done in six years, um, anybody was fantastic. But it's just, it puts the strain because then it was, it was also going to change the next day, right? Yeah. Um, How is that going to happen? And the A's blowing leads, that's something they didn't do during the regular season. No. You know, three run lead in game one, three run lead in game four. Those are things that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, what's kind of sad for me is I think what's going to get lost in all this and you brought it up, is, is Chad Pinder's homer. Yeah. Which was one of the greatest home runs in athletics postseason history. Also not you measured get, very correctly. <laughs> not measured correctly. You don't, you don't see three-run game-time home runs in the postseason in a late inning. Yeah. Though, that's never happened for the Oakland A's. And especially uh, for Pinder, a guy who has not gotten the kind of playing time I think a lot of people would like to have seen him get. Um, had you know was coming off a hamstring injury that he was still dealing with. Uh, he is very quietly. He's not the fiery type like Chapman, but he has long been known as one of the team leaders. Very well respected. So that was fantastic. Chris Davis's resurgent also fantastic. You know we all know what he's been through. I think uh, you know everyone on the team was pulling for him, felt for him. Uh, he was working so hard, probably too hard. We've talked about this a, a bunch, you know, trying too hard, you know, try, making too many changes, you know, really putting too much pressure on himself, and you could see it. And then so as September went along, the at-bats started to get better. He started to look a little more relaxed. He started to look a little more like himself. And then the postseason shows up, and he looks like Chris Davis of old. Um, so those are two nice developments for the A's because both of those guys will be back next year. The interesting thing is there could be a lot of changes in store, but particularly, uh, well, let's start on the field, but particularly we're just talking about the bullpen, which really did make the A's the team they were during the regular season. Most of the bullpen could be gone, David. What are we looking at in terms of uh, the bullpen? And, of course, we'll, we'll talk about Marcus Simeon, who's a, the other big, biggie. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that the two biggest, two of the biggest games of the year, game three and four, uh, your three-hitter is Chad Pender, and your four-hitter is Chris Davis. <laughs> who, who who would have thought that? And they both performed really, really well. And it's nice to see Chris Davis do what he did because he is coming back next year, and he's still such a key to this whole offense. And everything that they do needs to surround. If Chris Davis is your 40-home run hitting Chris Davis, this offense is that much better. It just And you're paying him a lot of money to be that guy. And unfortunately, they haven't gotten that yet, so really nice. But, yeah, you talk about the bullpen and – what they're looking at, and you're looking at a lot of guys who are free agents, right? Joaquin Soria, free agent. Your Snarl Petit, free agent. Liam Hendricks, free agent. Uh, they have some questions. I think Hendricks is, is the biggest one. Um, the A's have been pretty steadfast in not spending big money on a closer. Yep. Um, when it came time for big money, those closers would go away. Um, so now you look at Liam Hendricks, who's coming off two fantastic years, uh, hitting the free agent market. And so I look back at what free agent relievers got last year, some not typically closers, but Will Smith got the biggest contract. He got a three-year $40 million, right? So a little over $13 million a year. Uh, Drew Pomerantz got four years, $34 million. Will Harris, three years, $24 million. Um, 
he's going to get he on the open market is going to get somewhere in that three year forty million dollar range. Do you have, think no so? Do you think this off season the deals are still going to be that high with no ticket revenue this year and potential of you know greatly decreased ticket revenue next year? I think for a few guys it will. I don't think it's going to be across the board. I think it's going to be down. But I think if you're the Philadelphia Phillies or the Boston Red Sox, you are spending that money. And Hendricks is the number one closer on the free agent market. Um, so I, I think for that, those number one guys in those spots are still going to get those money, that, that money. And I think the Phillies and the Red Sox would be willing to spend that money, and they have it to spend even without the revenues of this year and maybe down next year. Well, good so, for Liam. He deserves it. I, I would be very happy if that's the case for him. Maybe not for A's fans, but I'm very happy for, for Liam and his wonderful wife, Christy. So that, that's what it you know leads to a lot of holes in the bullpen that you filled with these veterans' arms over the last few years, right? So who's coming back when Delkin's coming back, Beekman's coming back, and then it's your Chris Weems and, and, yeah, Trevino, who just, every time he takes them out, I don't, I don't know about you, but I just feel like disaster is going to happen. Yeah. Um, it's just, so there's, that's a, that's a lot of holes the A's are going to need to fill in the bullpen. Who's your closer if they don't go out and get somebody with experience, which I think they will, you know, they've been the year they got Petit and Soria, you know, that's, I think they'll probably go out looking for somebody like that. A pretty solid experienced guy who's not going to wow you, but is maybe a little bit better than you think. But if, yeah. if not, who's your closer? Deekman? Maybe Deekman, or maybe you're hoping when Delkin. Here's the, here's my problem with Delkin. There are times he goes out and he just relies on his fastball and he's blowing guys away. And then somebody gets on base and then he starts going to his breaking ball and he starts trying to trick people and that's when he gets in trouble. And, and we saw that in game one after Redick reaches on the error. It just he looked like a different pitcher all of a sudden. And he's trying to trick guys, and he's going deep into counts. That worries me as far as a closer. Deepin worries me as a closer because of the, the walks. I, I know the walks don't bother him, but they bother everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a big question mark. I don't know. I, like we said, the A's aren't going to go out and spend money on a closer, but they'll spend money on relievers uh, on that second tier line, right? right? And so maybe somebody comes out from there who they say, okay, this guy can – be our closer. Shishi Hirano can come in and he can be the closer. So I it'll be interesting to see how they how they remake Here's... the uh, the bullpen. Want to hear my idea? Yeah. AJ Puck is closer. Not far fetched at all. I like it. I just don't know if AJ Puck will be be healthy. Yeah. Well, you know, the surgery was a lot less um, serious than I think you know than it could have been a little bit along the lines of Shamanaya he's supposed to be ready for spring training whatever spring training looks like um, you know, th- there are a lot of different theories about if you're coming off numerous arm injuries should you start whether you then have your regular four days of rest which that's good or should you be in the bullpen where your inning load is going to be greatly reduced but you're going to be working a lot more frequently. So um, I don't know where I stand on that, but I do like the idea of a, you know, Randy Johnson too coming out of the bullpen in a lot. I do like that too. I like having a scary guy, a scary closer who puts fear into the opponent. I think maybe it's from growing up watching Goose Gossage and how scared I was of him. Uh, I just sort of stayed with me. I think there's, there's something about that. 
Uh, and it's a way to work him back, right? John Smoltz came back from, from his injuries as a closer, yeah. uh, and it worked well. So not far-fetched at all, and it's something the A's are going to have to look at because they are going to need someone to close the game. Well, if it happens, you heard it here first. We'll be back with more with David Feldman in just a moment, but a reminder, you can find all of the Chronicle's Oakland A's coverage at sfchronicle.com, and to subscribe to the Chronicle, go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. Marcus Simeon. What's the market going to be for him coming off a down year after a phenomenal year, especially playing a premier position like he does and turning himself into a very good, maybe not elite, but very good shortstop, you know, gold glove finalist two years in a row. Um, You know, this year was complicated, obviously, by, you know, Chapman being gone for a while. But uh, the offensive year was, I'm sure he would tell anybody and be first to say, was a disappointment. Yeah, offensive numbers for a 60-game season were down, no doubt. 223 average, 679 OPS, um, not good. So at the end of May, if he was hitting this or going into June, you'd say, oh, he's having a bad year, but you have plenty of time to make make it up. And we saw a little of that making up happening in the playoffs. Because Marcus Simeon was, was awesome in the playoffs. And this was the guy that we saw most of last year. So I think that's what's going to be kind of stick into uh, other teams' mind is they saw Marcus Simeon hit 533 against the Astros, right? Go eight for 15, have a solid series against the White Sox uh, with a big home run. So I don't, I don't think he's he hurt himself that much. What does hurt him now in this case is the market that's right. out there and who needs a shortstop, who's going to spend money. Um, you know, the free agent market as of now, besides Simeon. The other two, you know, frontline shortstops are Andrelton Simmons and D.D. Gregorius. So Simeon's, I, to me, he's the top of those three. He's going to be the number one shortstop on the market. But who's who needs a shortstop and who's willing to pay for it and how much are they willing to pay? That That's an excellent question. Yeah. And, and do the A's take the qualifying offer to Marcus Simeon for one more year at what's going to be $18.9 million, Is that correct? Man, that so would be a stretch. I think that's a huge stretch. That's in a, a normal year, I think they do it. If they'd played 162, they'd gone to the playoffs, you know, got a little bit of boost from the playoffs and all of that. I think they do it. But uh, after, you know, this is a team that furloughed half its people. I just don't, I don't yeah. see them shelling $18 million out for a shortstop, but they also don't really have a major league ready shortstop. I don't necessarily see Chad Pinder playing there every day. Um, I think he could do it and be okay, but he's not really an everyday shortstop. Um, you know, they don't, uh, you know, Nick Allen is a phenomenal defender, but uh, all reports are his bat is probably not quite major league ready. I think he's going to be a big leaguer at some point. I don't think it's going to be next year. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of really good young shortstop talent, but I don't, I'm not sure I would say any of them are ready. So they would have to go out and get somebody. So do you hope maybe that the, market is suppressed enough that you can convince them to come back on a one-year deal that's less than 18 million you know if you can get them for 15 million 14 million do you do that i don't know what do they think they can do next year right that's the next question is this team still feeling that they're they're a competitor to win the division because that's still going to be the goal not the wild card um are they in line to do that with the changes they're going to have in their bullpen? They still have 
obviously a lot of pieces. Even though you have these 10 free agents, but you have 10 arbitration-eligible guys, um, you have to make decisions on. But most of them will be back, and the key guys will be back. The two maps are coming back, right? Um, you'll have to make a decision on Mark Canna, but if you feel like you don't want to bring Robbie Grossman back, who's also a free agent, well, then your outfield can be Canna, Loriano, Piscotti, who's still under contract. Or is Piscotti going to be a trade piece if you were going to try and bring in a shortstop that way? There's a lot of questions they have to ask, and what, where are they as far as how competitive they think they're going to be? Yeah, that's a good um, point. You know, they've got so much um, outfield depth too. I could, I thought this last season, off season, I think we talked about it. I thought they were going to trade Piscotti last off season for something, for exactly that reason. Um, you know, Loriano's ability in center, Canna's ability to play both corners, uh, that sort of main, you know. But Piscotti's trade value is going to be way down. So. I don't know. I don't know what you get for him. Uh, maybe in a package with, uh, you know, a very good young player prospect. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, that's a possibility. Um, really, really a lot of this is remember last off season there was almost nothing. <laughs> they did almost right. nothing. There was almost nothing to talk about. This year, it's everything. Like there's so much to talk about. We could probably spend the next half hour talking about um, all the possibilities. But obviously, Marcus is the biggie. But now there's an even bigger one. Uh, and it's off the field, but uh, the most important person in the, really the franchise history and over the last 20 some years, Billy Bean, I, I'm even going to say it's it's pretty likely is out the door. Um, he is now part of this SBAC, SPAC, uh, as they're called, uh, Red Ball, which is uh, basically an investment firm for sports. What they do is they go around and buy up teams and they kind of make them public. Now, they're talking to the Fenway group. That's John Henry's group that um, owns, among other things, the Red Sox, of course, and Liverpool. We all know Billy's love for European soccer. He's got stakes in two different European soccer teams right now. And uh, if this merger goes through with the Fenway Corp, they take it public, which that's going to be a tough sell to Major League Baseball. Right now there are rules against um, any sort of public ownership of teams. Um, and you're talking about the Red Sox here. So uh, that's fairly significant. Uh, but if it does go through, Billy Bean really would, um, you know, he'd essentially have to divest himself of all of his A's ties. Uh, but it, I'm, I'm thinking that it's fairly likely anyway, even if the deal doesn't go through. I think he's pretty focused on this spec. And uh, as I, I talked to somebody that's kind of familiar with all the business dealings with the, the SPAC and et cetera yesterday, and he said, you know, Bill, Billy's ready for a new adventure. It's been 30 years with the A's. And I've got to say, you know, the way John Fisher handled a lot of the things during the shutdown, particularly with the furloughs of longtime employees in the front office, um, particularly scouts and talent evaluators and uh, development personnel, that that rubbed everyone in the in the front office really the wrong way. Uh, there was a lot of disappointment, um, especially because it was done fairly quickly. Um, and I know that Billy and David Forrest fought so hard for their very long time employees that, you know, they, they saved a couple of important jobs. Webster Garrison, who was at the point still on a <laughs> ventilator, um, among, among others. Uh, but gosh, I, I think that there is at this point not a lot of love lost necessarily. Uh, between Billy and John Fisher, because it, it was a tough year, and I, I think there were uh, there were some disagreements about some things. So I could easily see him leaving. Now, 
does he have unfinished business in Oakland? He has not won a championship. He's had some very good teams. I think he would love to stick around and and enjoy something like that. But if they're looking at a, you know, if John Fisher looks at the books and says, I am not going to increase the payroll next ne- much next year because I don't know what we're going to have coming in. You know, the gap is not where he gets all his fortune. I think he's got a mm-hmm. lot of that. Um, you know, I think he's got a lot of investment. I think he'll be fine, even though the gap is yeah. is not doing well. But certainly, like everyone, um, you know, his fortune is not what it was. Uh, and I think another year without significant ticket revenue uh, would scare any owner. And I don't think he's going to spend that much. So if you're Billy Bean and you're thinking like, you know, I'd love to stick around one more year and try, try to give it another shot with this group and win a title. I'm not sure you're convinced that, that John Fisher is going to shell out for what it actually takes to do that. So uh, all that thing, all that kind of adds up for me as I think Billy is probably gone, which, um, you know, that, that will be a sad day because he is a man who has meant so much to the franchise. I don't have to go through all the money ball stuff. Everybody knows, but he is... Um, you know, as dedicated to uh, this franchise as anybody's been. He had the opportunity to leave to go to Boston. He decided not to. He decided to stay. His heart was in Oakland. He knew it, and he didn't want to regret leaving Oakland. And he's done an amazing job with lots and lots of low payrolls. He does not determine the payroll. The um, primary owner does that. He's only ever had a very small ownership stake, and that was to keep him from leaving. And, uh, you know, the, the track record, especially given the payroll, is uh, is extraordinary. So yeah, that, that'll be a sad day. But, you know, David Forrest is, you know, <laughs> essentially it's Billy too, right? He knows everything right. Billy does. He knows how to do it. You know, he knows how to do it. He's done a very good job. He's a brilliant man. Uh, as the person I talked to yesterday said, they will be just fine with David Forrest. Uh, and, I, you know, you know, Billy's going to check in with David from time to time if there's, a, <laughs> if there's an <laughs> issue. So uh, I don't. I think he will be not with the team, but I don't think he's going to be too far away. So I don't know if you know this, but Brad Pitt played Billy Bean. What? Brad Pitt I touched know. my arm at the premiere. David Feldman. I haven't I haven't watched oh. it, watched it yet. <laughs> uh, Billy's run in Oakland. If this is the end, is is I mean, it's the stuff they make movies out of. Um, and what he wanted to accomplish, and what he did accomplish. Uh, he did not reach the ultimate accomplishment, winning a championship on a less than budget. And I think Billy really wanted to do that. I, I think there was a little ego there as I want to win doing it my way and show that it's possible, which is fine. I mean, you look how successful he was with this team. Look how many playoff, um, playoff appearances this team has had. Um, Seattle Mariners, with oh, a ton of money, have not been to the playoffs since 2001 with a new ballpark and plenty of revenue. But the A's with an old ballpark and very little revenue and no big TV contract were able to go to the playoffs 11 times. Yeah. Um, the Mets, the Mets haven't won at all. And look at the, look where they are and look how much money they have and how much money they've spent. Yeah. So I, I really think, you know, Billy and David Forrest and, and the whole group there and the way they've also adapted and, and changed over the years. Where, you know, originally, as Moneyball tried to point out, Billy's dislike for scouts, which was never quite that. But there's been such a good mixture now, at least I feel that, of between scouting and the analytics and everybody kind of working together. Are there arguments? All the time. Do, does the manager in the front office get along? Not all the time. I mean, it's just that's the way baseball is right. now. That's everywhere. Um, that's everywhere. Um, you know, people were trying to, to, to 
get all over Dave Roberts' choices. And you're like, you know, he's not making every choice. Front office, this isn't the old day where Earl Weaver's right in the lineup card. Nobody gets to touch it. Um, it's, it's really group think going into a lot of decisions. Just this postseason, uh, the A starting pitching decisions, that was pretty much a front office decision-making. Uh, Bob had a, had a point of view and he had an opinion, but at the end of the day, the front office is making that decision. Um, and that's the way baseball is now. Um, I can see Billy has been fighting this fight for a long time. And this year has been so unlike any other year. You've got to get tired of it after a while. And you got to look at your next goal, right? Maybe I, it's time for him to want to do something else. I fought this fight long enough. Um, it's been such a tough year. Uh, so many people are, are passing away, so many Hall of Famers, so many people inside the game uh, are going not even – if they're not passing away, they're going through hard times. I think it's a real you know, time when you look at yourself and say, what do I want to accomplish and what's next? And do I want to keep pushing this rock up the hill or do I want to go try a new hill? And I think for Billy and the way that his mind works, I think it's probably time for a new hill. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a, I will be sad. He's been absolutely wonderful to cover. The teams have been great. He's a phenomenal quote. He can say something funny about just about anything, which I love. Um, but, uh, you know, David Force is pretty funny, too. So I think I'll be, I, I also will be okay in case anybody was worried. <laughs> You're worried about you. That's the thing about with David Force is I don't think he gets his due working just below Billy. True. Uh, but, you know, having a chance to be in the spotlight – a little bit more. He is, I really like David Force. I like him as a person and I like him as a baseball man. Uh, he just, there's a certain way that he goes about his business that is, is refreshing. Um, and maybe it's just the, the A's culture, but to see your, you're basically a general manager walk into the game, wearing shorts in his backpack and, and ready to go to work. There's something about that that is just, it's pretty cool to see. It is. He's also a master of the absolute most subtle, fantastic sarcasm I've ever seen. <laughs> it's tremendous. Kills me every time, um, even when I'm kind of maybe the cause of it. Uh, <laughs> um, Bob Melvin, does he come back? Um, here's, the, here's the possibility. My, my colleague Ann Killian spelled it out. Oh, that, that, that was a cat, sorry. <laughs> that was Selkie deciding to have a little, I don't know. Um, Sandy Alderson is potentially in line to go essentially take over the Mets again um, with a with a potential ownership change there uh, which sounds like that's going to go through and and Sandy sounds like is is at the top of the list he has got a great relationship with Bob Melvin if Bob Melvin is sort of seeing the same things that maybe some of the people in the front office are seeing either about spending or direction of the team and and what the personnel might look like next year you know, he could be tempted. Uh, he, Another person who's been incredibly dedicated to the A's for a long time and has done a ridiculously great job. But uh, that's something that, to keep an eye on, too. That's not one, like, with Billy, I, I'm, you know, I, if I had to bet, I would say Billy's probably gone. I, I'm not, I don't know where, to, where I would, what I would say about Bob. I think it's probably more likely he stays. But it's, you know, it's something to consider. It's something to keep an eye on. And, and uh, gosh, that would be, you know, also an incredibly dark day because he has been, um, you know, on the field. He's just been as instrumental as Billy has been behind the scenes this entire time as the best A's manager I've covered. And I really loved Art Howe a lot. Yeah. I and mean, what Bob Melvin's done in this situation with these teams and and winning, I mean, it's 
there's something to say about that, that you can take these teams who are not thought of as, as being teams who are playoff teams in, in 2012 and 2018 and making the playoffs yeah. with teams that were thought of as, I remember in 2012, that, that was a 74-win team when you looked at it on paper before the season started. Yeah. And 2018, you had no, no thought. 500 was the goal, and you win 97 games. Yeah. Uh, and Melvin's such a huge part of that. And the way that he deals with the public, with the players, the way the players respect him, the way he deals with the media, such a huge identifier of the A's is Bob Melvin. I mean, the longest tenured manager. You don't see managers stay in the job 10 years now. No. Um, and he, he deserves to do it. Now, he, he flirted with, with New York. This was the Yankees a few years ago when they had their job opening and the A's didn't let him interview there. Is New York some place that he wants to go, that he wants to, to try his hand at? Uh, I don't know. You would know better than, than I, but I think if that situation came up with Sandy Alderson taking over the Mets, I think he would at least inquire yeah. with, with Bob and, and the A's, hey, do you want to come manage the Mets? I think he'd be, in, I, I think, yeah, I, exactly. I think there would at least be a conversation. Uh, and there should be. I mean, nobody has a track. I mean, he's just phenomenal. He really is. The, the thing that I always say about Bob Melvin, and I'm a, I've covered a lot of managers, I've covered a lot of coaches in various different sports. The hard thing is walking that line between being liked and respected. A lot of people in those uh, jobs are respected but not liked, and that can be a problem. Right. A lot of them are really well liked but not respected. It's very hard to find that balance, and he absolutely has it, and he treats everybody so well. Uh, you know, the players both love, they love him. They absolutely love him, and they thoroughly respect him. He's like a good father figure, you know, really um you know, I think they all feel like they can go to him. Ramon Laureano's in his office, like, all the time, just constantly. <laughs> they, they love him. So, uh, again, that would be a, also would be a very dark day. But I think this is going to be an offseason with a lot of changes. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily rule it out. No, I think there's, you're right. There's going to be a lot of changes. There's going to be a lot of roster changes, you know, a lot of front office changes. Um, it really is going to be a, a different year. And the unknown plays a big part in it, the unknown being what kind of season is 2021 going to be? Right. Is it going to be a season with fans? Is it going to be more the same uh, that we saw? I mean, I still when – when baseball put out the spring training schedule, I'm like, really? You have no idea what's, what, what's coming, and you're going to put this out now and, yeah, and try and get people excited about it? Like, ah, you know what we're doing here, right? We're not – there's no fans. Yeah, well, I think that they will probably come up with a system, especially since we're seeing it in Texas during the postseason, of limited fans spread out and stuff. I, you know, I, I don't know what the risks are there. Uh, I don't think they're zero. Um, I, I think I would be apprehensive about going to something like a baseball game or a concert even outside um, under these circumstances. But uh, I think there will be limited attendance, uh, but that's still not going to give you your regular revenue. Um, and no. if you're a team like the A's, that's probably going to matter. Well, David, I have a feeling we will be talking a lot this offseason because I think we're going to continue to have an awful lot to talk about. So um, save up all, all your good words, and we will check back in in another month or two. Oh, I, I, you know, I wish the A's were still playing games that we got to talk about, but this offseason is going to give us a, a lot of interesting situations for us to discuss. Yeah, fantastic. Well, we're talking about the A's new shortstop, Didi Gregorius. It's a boy <laughs> some such <laughs> thanks again Feldy and, uh, and try to enjoy a little bit of downtime now thanks Susan thanks again to David Feldman for joining us on A's Plus you can find him on Twitter at D 
Feldy. Our producers today were King Kaufman and G. Allen Johnson. We'll be back again soon with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening.